podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This episode is sponsored by Carl Catling Media. Welcome to Zero Pucks Given, the ice hockey podcast for Chumpsford Chieftains fans. What a weekend we had in Chumpsford, a Saturday night sellout at the Riverside against Slough Jets, raising funds and awareness for Full Lewis Charity. The players were all wearing specially designed jerseys and were sponsored by the fans lucky enough to have been selected to do so. Awesome jerseys they were as well. Uh, on Sunday, the Chieftains made their final league trip down to Gillingham to face the Dynamos before the two will eventually meet in the Britain Cup final on March 25th and 26th. This week, I've also got three guests. Firstly, I will be joined by a British hockey player who is now coaching stateside, Sam Chima. I'll also be joined by GB under-18 starlet, Abby Minter. And I will also be joined by Bob from Four Lewis Charity to discuss the fundraising and awareness that was done on Sunday and the Chieftain's involvement with that charity. James Ayling was going to be joining me on this episode, but an unforeseen circumstances prevented him from doing so. He does send his apologies, as do I. It will happen soon, I promise you. Uh, if not next week, certainly soon, we will get James on. Uh, a bit of news coming for the upcoming episodes. Uh, Abby is the first of three GBs under-18s ladies that are jumping on the podcast and I've also had verbal confirmation from the man himself that Petr Cech will be joining me very soon. I've uh, got a great guest lined up towards the end of the season, uh, and I've also teased, but I'm going to make you wait for the other guest announcement. Uh, so let's get started then with a rowdy Saturday night sellout as the Jets flew into the Riverside. fairly even start to the game which saw the visitors in their normal home attire as the Chieftains were wearing the charity jerseys emblazoned with a multicoloured firework effect that would have possibly caused a clash. And on 8.17 Hildreth took two for holding for Slough but Chieftains were unable to capitalise and just four seconds after returning to full strength Christian Moore assisted by Goodchild put the Jets ahead from close range on 10.21. Six minutes later the roles were reversed as Moore assisted Goodchild who slotted home high past check after a nice attacking move on 16.20. On 17.48, Gavin Black for Slough and Dan Hitchings for the home side, both got two for roughing, Black getting an additional two for holding. The Chieftains attacked hard in the 4-on-4, four four, and Cam Bartlett and James Pentecost assisted Grant Bartlett, who continued his fine scoring form this season, making it 2-1 on 18.32 from a tight angle. 
The second saw the Chiefs start on the penalty kill after Grant Bartlett was given two for tripping on the buzzer. And just 44 seconds into the second period, Goodchild broke into the slot alone and smashed top shelf past Czech for his second of the game to give the visitors a 3-1 lead. It then appeared that a mist and a red one at that had descended onto the rocking barn. And on 22-11, Dan Fay and Bradbury went toe-to-toe and both got two for roughing. Halfway through the period, an extremely physical play saw Ross Clark force a turnover in the offensive zone, bully his way past two and slot home for 3-2. Two minutes later, it was 3-3 when Dan Fay and Grant Bartlett assisted Cam Bartlett, who smashed home on the odd man rush from 32-45. The second finished 3-3. Into the third and a fantastic forward play from the Chieftains as TJ Fillery fed Bulldog from the neutral zone. He deked round two and fed George Gell who swept home past the flailing Massey for 4-3 or 45-04. Seconds later, Miguel Canis and Jacob White-Say dropped the gloves and went to town with Casey Wilson and Grant Bartlett also clinching members of the Jets team in headlocks and a feisty few minutes closed with Slough on a power play. In that power play, Slough got themselves level as Goodchild had his hat-trick goal on 46-03. On 47-26, Cam Bartlett went on the odd man rush and was tripped in the process. Penalty shot for the Chieftains, which Cam duly slotted home after some crafty stick work in front of Massey before going through the five-hole. Into the final minutes and Slough called a timeout and pulled Massey. From the defensive face-off, the Chieftains iced the puck. From the next face-off, a ricochet to the boards gave Cam Bartlett a slim chance to slip the puck into an empty net from deep in the defensive zone and he obliged, unleashing his shot that had the crowd on their feet and swinging their hats for our number eight on 59-47. An incredible 6-4 victory after a back-and-forth game. Man of the match for the visitors was Goodchild. George Gell took it for the home side. Great to see him back on home ice. All the players then descended to the cafe bar for the jersey presentations and some chats with the fans and an incredible spontaneous auction for the spare jersey which netted an amazing £2,300 for the Four Lewis charity. A wonderfully generous gesture from Andy. And after all that merriment, the players went back up to the rink to help Frankie Sabini and James Ayling with the filming of The Enforcer. Kieran Rayner going toe-to-toe with Jonas Armstrong looked like a doozy all set for another trip down to Gillingham to face the Invicta Dynamos. Both teams knowing this was the last time they would face each other before the cup final, so desperately trying to achieve that mental edge. The Dynamos took the lead on 3.02 when Blake tipped in Springer Hughes shot. On 5.30, George Gell got his second goal of the weekend, equalising with Apples to Fillery and Hitchings. On 8.11, Hushk took two minutes for slashing, and on the power play, Chieftains took the lead as Cam Bartlett got his fourth of the weekend, unassisted. The home side then retook control of the first period, as on 14.25, Saw made it 2-2, and straight from the restart, Springer Hughes made it 3-2 on 14.31. The Moes killed two penalties at the end of the first and went in 3-2 up. Halfway through the second, Invicta stretched their lead when Laschek and Strawson assisted Dell on 27.41. Lillis and Rayner went to war, seeing both get five on 31.44. Towards the end of the period, Cam Bartlett assisted Ollie Bulldog to pull it back to 4-3 on 36-27. Into the third and after a minute and 50, Dell got two minutes for hooking and on 43-23, Springer Hughes capitalised on a very uncharacteristic error from Tassadri to make it 5-3. 
A minute later, Harris made it six, assisted by Stokes on 44-41. On 47 flat, George Gell took two for hooking, and 34 seconds into the power play, Hushk assisted Saw for 7-3. In the last two minutes, the Red Mist descended again as Faye, Cam and Grant Bartlett and Dan Hitchings all went to the box, joined by Stokes and Chard for the home side. On 58-51, Casey Wilson got two for tripping, and on the resulting power play, Saw got his hat-trick to make it 8-3. Another feisty affair, final blood to the Dynamos. The Britain Cup final is not to be missed. Results elsewhere in the NIHL 1 South. On Saturday, the Raiders and Oxford kicked off their double header with each other that weekend. A 12-4 victory for the Oxford City Stars down at the Sapphire. I do believe Sonny Phillips may have took a 10 plus 10 minute penalty as well. So it'd be interesting to find out what happened there. Invicta Dynamos suffered a 10-3 defeat at the high road at the hands of the league leaders Stretton Redhawks. And that completed Saturday's games with the Chieftains 6-4 victory over Slough. On Sunday, the Oxford and Raiders weekender went back up to the Oxpens and Raiders took a 7-4 victory with them. So an incredible weekender from those two teams there. Uh, the other game saw Slough Jets travel up to the Thunderdome in Milton Keynes and they took the win 2-1 in the shootout. Incredibly tight game, fantastic for Milton Keynes. Uh, I think they had a few more numbers back this weekend and put in a really hard performance, getting the one point at least out of Slough. The Chelmsford Cobras had a great win at home to the Slough Sirens. 13-3 was the final score there. Charmaine Easton getting five of those goals at Snake Pit. In the academy on Saturday, the, uh, the under-12 mini Chieftains had a 7-4 victory against Invicta. The under-16s Rattlesnakes got a, uh, took a 3-4 defeat to the Swindon Top Kittens. Uh, and on Sunday, the mini Chieftains got a 3-2 victory over Romford. The under-10s also had a successful weekend as well. So fantastic from all the academy stuff there. Now we're going to get to our first guest, former British pro and now coaching stateside. It's Sam Chima. Sam Chima, how are you doing, fella? What's up, mate? I'm good. How are you? I'm really well. Coming to us uh, live from New York. Yeah, New Jersey right now. We're at the Devil's facility. But yes, I live in New York City now. You live in New York City. You, you just showed me before we started. Can you fit your camera around and show the YouTube uh, viewers? All right, so this is, here's our rink that we uh, we skate out of. And then just behind me here would be the main arena. So you walk right through, just through this door, and, and you're onto the main arena. So it's not a bad setup. It's not a, you know, I tell people it's no Guildford Spectrum where I grew up. But, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, we don't have a swimming pool and, and what that here. But it's it's really good. It's a great facility. Um, Devils, you know, like, they're really good to me. So I'm really fortunate and, and honestly don't know how, I'm here, to be honest, but hey, this is what I'm doing for a living. So well, I mean, let's playing. take you back to your career in England. So you're a Guildford boy. Did you start playing at a young age in Guildford? Yeah, so I watched um, the Mighty Ducks, and my mum's Irish and my dad's Indian. And uh, so this is like three years old. And I just said, oh, I want to do that. You know, I want to put, I don't know what, and they were like, what is this? Right. And um, so they, I think they got out the yellow pages and like looked up where the closest ice rink was happened to be Guildford and um, 
back then you have to kind of do your skating levels like kind of like swimming badges yeah before you could even like try out for the team and the the youngest team was the under 10s and um so i did that for a few years and then when i was six i tried out for the under 10 team which had you know guys like Callum Bess, Andrew Melacrino, like really good players on it and then Fred Polini was the head coach of the program um, obviously, you know, Brendan is Brendan, and but Fred played obviously for the Leafs and had a tremendous year career playing hockey in England. Um, so I was really fortunate to be honest. Like on that team, and then um, stayed in Guildford all the way to what would have been U16. You know, I had a bit of a, an ego and, and an attitude, and I thought I was better than you know when you go state you're welcome. You know, some, so I left, went to Romford for a year which is a lot of driving. Um, and then followed a lot of the Rumford boys. They went to Bracknell, which is close to where I live. So, like, yeah. right, so I went to, went to Bracknell there for a second year U16. And then I went to um, – I played there first year U18. But honestly, mate, like it was uh, – I wasn't in a good situation. And I didn't – I actually wanted to quit hockey at one point. And um, I'm really, really thankful um, – Milos Melicherik, you know, obviously I burned some bridges at Guildford um, when I left. And then um, my uh, my best man, who's still playing now, George Norcliffe, he's playing for Basingstoke still. And he's like a good friend of mine. And I saw him in the Guildford Spectrum Ball, his dad anyway. And he was just like to me halfway through that first year U18 season. He was like, why don't you come back? And I was like, well, hang on, you're like the best team in the country. Like, how am I even going to come back? And I burned the bridges and then... You know, um, you know, Milos really, he brought me in and he said, Chima, like, if you work hard and it's up to the boys, it's up to them if they take you back. And, um, you know, I just got my head down, worked hard and uh, uh, finished the year out with Guildford there. We went to the, the national semis. Um, it was a pretty tough year. We lost uh, one of our teammates um, in the playoffs and you know, tragically died. And then... Uh, yeah, finished up in the second year at Guildford, went to the national final. Um, and yeah, and then, and then played. When I was U18, uh, I signed on a two-way with Oxford, played two games, and then at Christmas Day, we got told the team folded. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> yeah, so that was interesting. So then quickly signed for Streatham, and at the time, they were playing at um, Brixton, at that new yeah. rink that they, they built. So... That wasn't too bad. So I played over at Stratton there and we were like you know, we were like the second worst team in the league. We just avoided relegation. And then um and then yeah, and then I after that I went to Invicta. And then um uh, from Invicta I went to I went to London races for like a cup of coffee, I guess, the season afterward, just kind of regained some confidence. Played two games there and I went jump I went to MK just like after two games. And um yeah, and then went to America, did a year over here, like just studying, had knee surgery, and then signed for um, White Wing, Isla White at the time. And, um, and that was like a really good team. Like we had an unbelievable group of guys and like Ryan Webb, George Norcliffe, you know, Ben Painter, you know, Bandy was there, uh, Jordan Gregory. Danny Inglesby, so it was like a lot of like you know local boys that we grew up yeah. playing with, and it was, it was a good team. And then uh, that team folded because the ring got seized. So you know, so that was yeah. 
That's quite a famous rink amongst a lot of players that have played throughout the league. They all sort of say, you know, you go down to ride and play in that white link arena. And if you were a visitor, you hated it. But if it was oh, your rink, it was brilliant. I don't know why. I always played my best games on the, like, whenever I was playing, I always played my best games there. Like, maybe it was the smallness of it. And it was, it, it was really easy to defend if you're a defensive defenseman because, like, the puck is always on top of you. So it's really easy. Um, didn't have to cover too much ice, so it was, a, <laughs> it was more physical. But yeah, it was a it was a really fun atmosphere to play in. Um, really great people there as well, like people running the rink and running the team. Um, just great, you know. Like even though you're on a, a boat to practice and and all that stuff, it's uh, it was a really phenomenal time. And um, yeah, then I went to Kazakhstan with the GB University team. Um, I finished the year off in Bracknell with the Hornets. And I uh, kind of knew that that was the end of my hockey career. Like, I was graduating university. And I was like, all right, I'm going to America. And, like, that was where, you know, I, I knew. And, and I didn't – my intentions were never to be in hockey full-time with my job. Um, I always worked in, like, advertising agencies and whatnot in the, in the, like, the off-season or during the season. Oh, and, it's, it, and it's true that, like, hockey – can't pay your bills in England, right? It's like even yeah. though you're playing in the NIHL or even in the Elite League, you still got to have another job sometimes. And um, so I, I knew that that was like my kind of my destiny, right? It was just like, all right, if I want to do something, and, and I was very studious and, uh, you know, at university. Um, so yeah, I came here and then uh, now I'm, you know, a full time hockey coach. I'm coaching, I don't know, eight different countries um, on the ice six to eight hours a day at players that play in the NHL and Division One, and own my own girls program now and we have 40 kids committed to college we built our own high school this year um, and yeah I don't know like I said I don't know how an English Irish person from from England is, is doing what I'm doing but yeah that's uh, that's how I kind of got here in a, in a short space of time yeah it's a truly astonishing story actually when you run through it there of your, your career and then into what you're doing now um, so, I mean, being Romford and the Invicta for a certain time, did you ever have the, the Chelmsford rivalry? Did you come to the Riverside <laughs> experience that? I, I hated Chelmsford with a passion. <laughs> like, not even when I was at Romford or Invicta. I just hated him from, like, a young age. Like, you know, like, just, just like, the guys, like, I played with a lot of them for one year at, like, Southeast when I was at Romford. Yeah. And, like, I'm a... I'm a, like a, you know, from a southern village in like outside London, right? So things are a little bit different. Um, and uh, it's, um, it's just, yeah, I, did, we didn't, I didn't, I hated playing Chelmsford. We always got the best of them. When I was in Victor, they had a really good team though. Like they had, uh, oh, who was it? Well, you had Hammond there, right? And you had, uh, um, Aileen was pretty good at the time. Um, Novak played and then he went somewhere else and he went away. But you always James, had James Ailing is actually on this episode with you. Oh, he is? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> He's a couple of years older than me. He was really good. Um, and then, um, yeah, they always had like good players and they always had this, this super annoying breakout where the D will come behind the net, they'll drop it back and then they'll hit the far side. And we knew it was happening all the time. And then just every single time, you know, like textbook. Um, the Chelmsford rink, I used to, I hated the benches, the way it was, like, staggered. Like, it was yeah. three levels to the bench. It, like, makes no sense. Um, 
but I mean, there was always guaranteed at least two or three fights whenever you played in Chelmsford. <laughs> and uh, the fans were really good. Like the rink is, they have a really good atmosphere there. Um, I hated the, the walk up to the, the rink. Up there, you had to walk through everyone to get in up the ramp. It's um, changed slightly now, actually. Since the, the leisure centre there, the Riverside Centre, has had quite a large refurbishment. Oh, and then since COVID, the, the team's now come out of different entrances. So the home players walk through the crowd um, and the away players just literally come out the corner and walk in the corner of the ring. Oh, yeah, because even when you used to walk through the crowd to get back, like, I remember after, like, you'd get everyone hurling abuse at you. <laughs> and then I remember, like, you know, when I was at we had guys like Norman Pennington and like Warren Ross. And um, the, my, my fun, like my, the memory that sticks out to me the most about playing Chelmsford was we were playing, um, we were playing in Brixton. And I, I'm an idiot. Like I'm going around behind the net, picking up a puck and my head's down. And uh, who was there at the time? It was, the name escapes me, but he was like one, he was one of the best players in the league. And like he'd, He's always played, and I think he even went to a face cage in the end. Um, and I, I just got, like, my bell rung, you know. My head was down, I got a big hit. And then I was on the line with Norman Pennington, so Norm goes after him. And then uh, Danny Cox, who was, like, that tough guy, I guess, at the time. So he jumps on the ice to go with Norm. And Norm throws, like, three of the biggest punches I've seen in my life. And I was just like, I'm glad this guy's on my team, not the other way around. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, I have really fond memories of just uh, of what it was like, and um, and I'm I'm also like just although I'm over here and I, I still have a lot of roots back in England with my friends still playing in the league. Like I went to watch Romford play against uh, Bracknell at Christmas time, and it was like watching the same team that I played on, um, the same guys and stuff. So I I do try to keep in touch and and tabs of it all and, and only want the best for hockey in England um, yeah. and try to figure out ways, you know, whatever I can do to help as well. Like just with different experiences and, you know, a lot of kids try to come to the U S and it's, um, there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of different types of programs, a lot of different routes to get to whatever level you're at. Um, but there's a lot of like, you know, I hate it when a kid goes from England to the U.S. and then comes back and plays in the Elite League or the NIHL. It's like, why why are we back to square one? You know, mm. why don't almost, we... almost like wasting that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and just like get, making sure they get the right advice so they go into the right programs that are like putting them to the, you know, you, if you're going over to the U.S., you want to be playing in the USHL or the NA or the NCDC at the very least. Um, and if you're going to go to a school or an academy you know you want to go to a place that's going to you know have a proven track record of kids going to those places not just saying oh here's 40 grand 50 grand whatever these kids are paying now and then ending back and just playing in wherever the epl was you know the nihl yeah um so yeah so whatever i can do to help on that stuff i'm really like always all is and um even i did like the whole twitter like the other day i just went on twitter about I was speaking to a, a British girl, and uh, it's just, uh, yeah, um, I don't know. It's English, but it's, it's it's my background, so I have to, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've got that written down. Obviously, I saw the exchanges on on Twitter, and I think was it with the, is it the JB Sixteens that have just been selected to go to Latvia? No, it's not that. It's um, I was speaking with uh, so there's a lot of kids 
they go to a Canadian school right now called OHA, and the same thing that like Sam Godfrey and like uh, Ben Russell and David Clements and all those guys, they kind of went there, and I think someone went to Notre Dame and stuff. And it's it's no slight on them or whatever it is. It's like there's no no the other opportunities available to them. So I'm speaking to this girl, and you know, and, and you know, UK, you don't make a lot of money. Like a hundred thousand pounds is like, oh my god, you're, you're crushing it. You know, like that's whereas. $100,000 in the U.S. is like, if you're educated, it's a pretty standard salary. Yeah. Um, so the the girl I was talking to, I was talking about like, you know, her experience and like, you know, she was saying like, yeah, so the federation, when she plays for the GB team, even though she's in Canada, she has to fly herself back. So what's, it's about 1,200 pounds sometimes for pop, right? Maybe more. Um, and then GB pays for the 40 pound easy jet flight from Luton or wherever it is to fly to where they're going. And that's just completely wrong because now you're getting, well, one, the kids leaving the country to better herself, which is actually going to enhance the level of play in the national team. Yeah. Um, and then two, like the families are putting the bill for something that should be, everything should be paid for by the national team. Like in my program now, I have a player who plays on the Swedish national team, Austrian, two Austrians, an Italian, a Danish girl. And then last year I had a Japanese kid who played on the national team. Um, I've had Czech girls. I've had Norwegians. And the way it works is like the federation pays for everything. You know, and even the federation gives them money to come here and play here. Um, because so it's, it's going to be to the benefit of their national program in the long term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, 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 they, and they see that, like, <laughs> it's... Um, like there was a, a boys team, a Chinese boys team that they would pay for a whole team to go live in Long Island before COVID. And they had a whole team of just Chinese guys. And because they, they know that to get the best, you need to have, okay, you can you need to have great coaching. You need to have like be the volume of training in terms of like on the ice, off ice and all that stuff and being in that environment. But then also you've got to have the competition to play. Yeah. So if you're not getting the competition, then, like, how are you ever going to... That's one pillar, like, a big pillar, that you're never going to be able to, you know, push on and, and go on to the next level. So they see that and they and they understand that, like, I had a girl last year, Hina Shimokai, and, like, she's a 2004 and, like, probably one of the best 2004s, you know, playing hockey. Um, and she, um, you know, whole the Federation paid for everything. Yeah, you know, like they paid for like the whole time here, so all in for one player, they're paying like sixty-five grand maybe a year, and and she's not the only one getting that, and they they realize that like if they want to compete with the tops of you know teams in the world, that that's an investment that they're going to have to to do, um, and it's just unfortunate when I hear like the same thing with, you know, I talk about Cooper and. I spoke with the GB coaches there and, and Coop's, uh, you know, for the U20s. And they were, you know, like, they were talking back and forth. And Coop's was playing on the number three team in the country in the U18 at Long Island Goals. Yeah. Now, if you look at the Long Island Goals and see where the kids go to, every kid's a Division One commit. Every kid's playing in USHL or the NA. And it's like a factory. And they were like, well, you know, uh, we haven't seen him. And like, this kid's playing NIHL1. And I'm like... But U18 is, like, higher. Like, if you take the Long Island Gold U18 team and put them in the NHL right now, they'll wipe the floor of every competition. 
Yeah. Like, even though they're 18 years old, they'll crush everyone. Um, the skill set is just a different level. And then, uh, you know, and then they were like, we're looking at the flights to fly back. And, and they were telling me as well, the same thing. Yeah, he has to pay his own way to come back and all this stuff. And I'm like, that's that, like, okay, so you're going to go and play in Estonia or wherever they went. And it's going to cost you 2,500 pounds, like with the flights and the travel and all this stuff. Okay. And then what, then you're going to miss an opportunity playing in front of college coaches, junior coaches. Cause it's like, when you play games here, you get scouted. Like there's people in the stands every game. Yeah. When you're playing against like the Shattuck's, the BK Selects, you're playing against, you know, the Rockets, the Avs, whoever it is, like there's people watching those games. Um, so it doesn't make any sense if what your long-term goal is to play at the top level. Um, it's just unfortunate. And I, I don't know, like, I don't know who's running what or, or whatever is going on. Like, I just want to, and it's not to slag anyone off or say they're doing a bad job or whatever it is. Maybe it's just got to be a, a case of having a serious, you know, is, if there's no money, fine. There's no money. I get it. Like, if there's no funding for it, I understand. But then, how do we get the funding? How do we yeah. go and get the money, you know, and then help these players? Because, uh, you know, in turn, it's just going to help the national team. And, you know, I was working with the Spanish Federation. Uh, so I did a camp in Madrid with them. And all through COVID, I was on Zoom with them and doing stick handling. And, like, you know, and, like, these kids don't speak English. And it's, like, super funny and interesting. Um, <laughs> but we had a whole off-ice program for them. You know, like they had, they were doing their lifts every day, even though everyone's in different parts of the world, they all had a program to follow. And, uh, you know, I asked some people on the GB side, like, do you have like an off-ice program that these kids can follow in the summer? No, we don't have that. And I'm like, it's super easy just to be able to like program something. There's like an app called Train Heroic and you basically can coach anyone from anywhere, right? And it's just one of those things where, you know, we just got to, if we if we're really serious about taking our sport to the next level, you've got to have a you've got to have something where kids can look at and be like, oh yeah, we're really good, yeah. You know, and I want to be there, and, and it's going to inspire them, and not be like, you know what, screw this, why am I doing this? I'm giving up my Fridays and Saturdays for nothing. Um, yeah, it's such. A, I mean, I think a lot of the. I mean, one of the main reasons I started this podcast was to try and push the sport further along because it's. I mean, it's probably. It's in the top 10 in the UK, but it's it's probably not top five. No, it's not. It's not. Definitely not. No. no. I mean, but it's, and it's an expensive sport to play as a child. Yeah. And there's a lot of traveling. There's a lot of commitment involved in it. And and I think you, it's kind of like the, uh, similar with the FA, with the football. It's like the old white man syndrome. Don't change it. Don't do this. Don't do that. And I think once you, it's going to have to be the Olympics. Once you start seeing GB in the Olympics, Winter Olympics, on a regular occurrence, I think then the the kids are going to see that on TV and be like, "Oh, I, I want to try that." I want to, because I mean, the magic of the Mighty Ducks in the nineties is is not going to happen again, where it's going to take this you know global stretch of ten year olds thinking, or, and three in your case, you know, yeah. I, I want to do that. So, but I think that's the thing. If you would sort of sit down with the, the GB or the UK Hockey Association and say, you need to fund it more. And they'll say, but we need to qualify for the Olympics first. But you, do you know what I mean? They're banging heads against walls, aren't they? Well, well, the easiest way that you can qualify for the Olympics is investing in the women's programme. Yeah, I, I, that was a point I was going to make later because I know, I know you're coaching with girls. Is I think as much as the, the men's team are doing well and they've got a really great chance, 
for the next Winter Olympics, it is the girls and the women that are going to make it first, I think. Well, and, and the performances, so like, let's take Span Spain, for instance, right? If you start trending and looking at the Spanish Federation and like the Spanish, like 2005, 2004, 2006, and 2007 players, and look at, they don't have rinks, they don't have money. Like their rink that we did in Madrid was like, it was like gospel, like back in the day, you know, like it wasn't like nice. It That's not like, changed much now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like the same stuff, you know, like, so it's not, but like they just invested in coaching. And so, you know, they brought us over and then they invested like, okay, like we're going to do this program and we're going to do it and we're going to get these kids together. They don't play many games. A lot of the kids actually play inline hockey a lot. Yeah. Um, more than ice. But look at how well they've done. They won like back-to-back -back gold medals at a U18 level. And the GB setup, it's like, like why, why, why are we getting beat by Spain, right? And it's just, it's, and you got to look at it and go like, and then, and then, yeah, speaking to this girl as well, and it's like, you know, she's telling me that, all right, so they go to the national team, they get a secondhand old helmet that's like a 4,500, which is one of like the cheaper helmets. Um, they get secondhand gloves with holes in them to wear. They get a shell. And then they get socks and a jersey that the socks normally have holes in, right? Yeah. And obviously, I'm running the hockey program. I know how much these things cost, and I get it. But you're telling me, like, I'm sponsored by True. Like, True gives me all my equipment every year. I get as many sticks as I want, custom sticks, get as many skates as I want, custom skates and gloves. Like, and I'm just a coach. Yeah. Right? So, like, why, you know, if Bao is going to be the sponsor on the women's, on the whole program, why are we not? getting something for the girls right and then like and what i know more about girls is like if you make them feel good like they play really well you know and a lot of it is just um if we just invest that into that you know and you know i've in the last olympics i coached 14 players i played in the women's olympics yeah so i'm just looking at it and going like all right on the u.s side uh so i train aaron frankel aaron's a goalie on the u.s national team She's a full-time salary employee for the U.S. national team. Like she's getting paid to play on that team, like full-time job. Yeah. And now she's playing PWPHA as well and getting paid from that. So, she, you know, she's making a good chunk of change from it. But, you know, you've got to get those players now into the college. You've got to get them players into playing Division One or Division Three. Now, that starts at an earlier age. So they've got to be in an environment just like the boys at 14 or 15. You know, to becoming like, if they're not getting what they need in the UK, then how do we get them somewhere else where they can get more volume, more competition and all that stuff? So it's like, that's, and then again, the finances are hard because the families, you know, like if you're a working class family, you can't just often put a bill for 35,000, 40,000 a year to go send your kids somewhere else. Yeah. When it comes to the haves and the have nots. And that's what the, the sport should never be about that. You know, the sport shouldn't be about, like it, like it shouldn't make a difference if you make one pound a year or a hundred pounds a year or whatever it is. It should be, you know, if you're, if you have talent, you have dedication, you have drive, then we should always find ways to help those players more and more and push them along. And, and yeah, absolutely. You know. Cause it, I mean, as a sport, it's, it's not got the characteristics of an elitist sport, but obviously as we've discussed, the finances involved in not just starting it, but progressing it onto a level as you say, when you get to that certain level and you say, right, if I'm going to get better, I've got to go to America, I've got to go to Finland, I've got to go to Sweden. 
that it should, as you said, it should be there for everybody, not just for the ones that can afford it. And, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's something, I when the government announced the sport funding, I think it was three or four years ago, and I, I don't think ice hockey even got £100,000. Well, because maybe we're not doing, I don't know who's, again, I don't know who's involved. Like, I don't know who is running anything. I don't know. I know obviously the IHA is running the youth level and the NIHL or whatever it is. And you have the elite league, but then you have the England national team and you have the Great Britain national team. And yeah. there's like, you know, and, and everyone's saying that you've got to pay to try out and then you've got to like pay for hotel, like all this stuff. Okay, I get it. Like you're going to have to pay for something. But I'll, like whoever is running it, are we not having the right conversations with the right people? You know, are we not... And we're not doing the, you know, doing our homework and like, all right, let's go for like, because these other federations figure it out and they know how to, how to fund this. Yeah. Now, if you look at the, like, if, again, obviously I'm, I'm very entrenched in the girls' side. So if you look at the Japanese federation, so they have an 04 team that was phenomenal. Like their 04, 03 team, unbelievable. Like you watch them play, it's like, holy hell. And they all knew how, how to be and, and where to be on the ice and they're, their talent level, they, they won the Youth Olympic Games in 2020, which is like, you know, they beat every team, like, and which is the best team in the country, in the world, right? Yeah. At that age. Now, the, the interesting thing is for Japan is like, which I think they missed the boat a little bit because, like, they didn't, or well, one, they didn't educate their kids enough to get the English level to be able to play in college because if you want to compete now at the Olympic level, you're playing against USA and Canada. And all those USA and Canadian players all play Division One hockey. Yeah. So you have to go and play. You have to send your players and be in an environment where you're getting, you're playing 35 games at a college level against the best teams, you know, at your age. And, and you're getting more training. You're getting all the equipment, all the resources, all the off-ites like provided by the school. And you're getting educated. So that's where they kind of missed the boat because of the English stuff. But... You know, I think it's it's definitely a conversation where we have to figure out, you know, who is running it and how do we, you know, that there is funding somewhere. I don't know where it is. I haven't, like, I'm not in the, the weeds of it or, <laughs> or doing that stuff. It's just, I just, you know, I, like I said to, like, the English guys that come here, like, you know, don't, you know, you don't want to come here and just be like, and end up back in England. You know, like, and people will be like, I told you so, right? And it's, um, you know, it, it's hard. Like, coming to America is really hard. Like, you know, you're playing 70 to 80 games a year at the youth level. Um, you're playing five games a weekend, which is a, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, plus, you're on the ice twice a day sometimes with the gym. So, your volume of training and, like, just the training alone, you're at 15, maybe 20 hours a week sometimes is training. And then you've got your travels and then you're, you know, like we were up in upstate New York. So that's a four hour drive there Saturday. And then we played here yesterday. Um, so we came back and then played. So we played three games this weekend. The week before that we were in DC. That's like a four and a half hour drive down to DC. And then you play, we played five games. You know, we've gone to Florida. We played seven games in three days where um, you go to Minnesota, you go to Boston a lot. It's a three hour drive. Yeah, so you're on the road a lot, and it's it's yeah. grueling. It, it's a tough schedule, um, but it's uh, it's an important you know because when you play, you get seen by people, and like people are watching. And then 
And that's basically, you know, like if I, our program is all about one skill development and then two, getting the kids committed to college. So um, we actually have the most college commits um, than anyone. If you draw a 300 mile radius from where we are, like- Oh, wow, and that, that Chima hockey. Yeah so, that, yeah, so like it's two things. It's like Chima hockey is like me as an individual doing my skills. Um, but uh, my, my program that I run is Ironbound Elite. So it's like basically a youth program. We have from 19U to 12U. Um, we built our own high school. So I have kids like next year I'll have, what do we have? We're going to have 17 international players. Um, and we skate every day. We gym every day. Um, we play 70 games. And like, and since I started doing this on the girls' side, it was in 2020. That's when we've got 40 kids committed, which, you know, in three years, four years now, it's been pretty good. Um, so, and that's, and then again, it's like, my, personally, I'm training guys like uh, Luke Rowe, Anthony Stark. I've had Drew O'Connor on the ice with me. He plays the Pittsburgh Penguins. Cole Myers with Manitoba Moose and Winnipeg Jets. Um, Ian Pierce is the defense my trains at Dartmouth. He's going to Washington Capitals next year. I've got like five guys getting drafted to the NHL this year, 05. So like Adam Silicky is over on Mid-Saga Steelheads. You got all the boys at the uh, U.S. National Development Team program, Aaron and Ryan Fine, all those guys. Yeah. So you got like, so I like, I don't know. I don't know how I got to this position where I'm training this caliber of players. Um, but, and again, it's like, I was never a good player, like skill-wise, if you look at my elite prospects, <laughs> you know, uh, and I, I was coaching early, like maybe at 14, 15, I would like volunteer and help out and I would get the train to Guildford early and, you know, and help out me off and stuff. So I was very invested in like wanting to, to coach and give back, but it, you know, you never paid. Like it was just, I was paying to go coach. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And then I don't know, like I said, I don't know how. I've ended up, this is my full-time job and, you know, I live in, you know, I live 10 minutes from Madison Square Garden and the Upper West Side and um, I can't complain. Like, no, uh, no, you, you know, can't. Oh, it's a lovely uh, area. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's expensive, but it's all right. You know, I, I do all right for myself. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's. Um, I think I just, I just, you know, I just go back to it and like anything with UK, it's, you know, I, I sent a message to someone who, who at a time I think was running it, his name's Andy French. And I go home to like, maybe I'm home three or four times a year. And I was just like, hey, like, I'd love to help and volunteer. You know, like, if you need anything on, on you know, like, and then they're like, nah, mate, you're right, thanks, kind of thing. And uh, I don't want to ask them to get paid, right? No, no. And it was, it was like, I'm, I'm paying my own way to come here. I'm going to see my parents. Like, I may as well hop out on the ice. Yeah, and, and do something, um, which is just like I don't know. Like it's it's frust It was a little bit frustrating, and like Danny Myers, I, I speak to Danny a lot, and I'm and I you know he's got me out of ozone when I go home and I just jump on the ice. So last summer I had like Matt Howlett and there's another lad who's playing at Bristol now, um, Ed Bradley or or something like that. Um, yeah, but is that but, National League's Bristol? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think Bradley. He's on a two-way he, two with uh, Cardiff, I think. Right. Um, so, yeah, and but like, 
I just do skills all day long. Like, I don't even look at the Instagram and just see, like, what we're doing. So it's different drills than what I knew in England. And yeah. just trying to, you know, I'll watch the devil skate. I'll see what they're doing, you know. And, and, and then a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now is a lot of film with my college players and trying to incorporate. Okay, so uh, so a lot of the stuff is, like, I have defensemen. And, like, Luke Rowe this year has had a career year. He's had... Well, yeah, 27 points, and he's a captain. He's playing 28 minutes a game. Like, the kid's a beast, you know? Yeah. And he's at Air Force. And um, but a lot of the stuff that we're doing, like, we can take a clip from a, a drill that we did on practice um, in the summer and take a clip from his game, and it's, like, the same thing. You know, he's, uh, he's executed that drill into the game. Just, like, it's been really phenomenal to see. Yeah. So, and that for that's, you as a coach, that's, that's, the, uh, that's, like, the absolute pinnacle yeah, yeah. coach. To see that, see that happening. Yeah, no, and it's, um, yeah, and like you know, and then and then, but they're they're seeking the feedback as well, which is interesting, you know. Like, so we talk with the college guys I work with. We talk like every Sunday and the kind of Monday kind of thing, recapping the weekend. And I have instat, so I'm able to dive in to look at every single shift that they play and what their ice time was, what their turnovers were, you know, how many shots do they have, and. You know, I'm I'm able to see when the ice time is dipping. So like, Sidlicky, he's at he was at Kitchener Rangers, and you know last year he's only you know five. So he went there as a 15 year old, but just turned 16. Yeah. And um, this year his ice time was dipping. So and then I just became like more his therapist. You know, like just chatting with him, checking in, like, hey, you're all right. You know, like just keep working hard, keep your head down. And you know, I I don't fully agree with what maybe your coach's tactic is here in a situation because it's your draft year, you know, and then he, you know, he's like, he's got a good situation now. He got traded out there and went to Mississauga and doing pretty good, you know, and, yeah. and so some, some of that stuff is just like, cause you know, when those players go to those teams, they don't, they don't always have a, a coach or someone they can turn to that a understands what they're going through and b like, you know, someone who can like talk hockey with them and, and try to build their confidence and, and then bring back the reference point of like, all right, hey, Zid, remember like last summer when we were on the wall and we did that wall pickup drill where we turned our body? He's like, yeah, I'm like, okay, in that situation, you know, like your, your coach is pretty mad on you because you made a turnover in your own zone. But in that situation, you could have executed that level, you know, and yeah. then you wouldn't have had that turnover. And, and it's just like, oh, yeah, team, I get that, yeah. So just like kind of reinforcing those things because when you're in the in the midst of the season like those coaches all they're getting paid to win games so you know their livelihoods are not on promoting their players to the next level their livelihoods on the wins and losses on yeah, Friday, well. Saturday. Yeah. yeah so it's it's different um but yeah no i don't know like fuck i'm super fortunate to do what i do yeah well it, it's not all luck do you know what i mean you've, you've obviously put in an awful lot of hard work to, to get where you are so it's uh, I think you're reaping the fruits of what, what you deserve entirely mate I think you've yeah, worked incredibly hard for it well I got lucky a little bit like so COVID COVID was actually really good for me which is, sounds super weird because I I just had so I have a I have a blood clot in my left leg um, in my puppetal artery so you know I have to now take a blood thinner every day and I'm not out to play hockey and all this stuff right and I basically couldn't walk for two weeks so i had to teach myself how to walk again and then COVID happens right so i'm now on the ice and everything's shut down and i'm sure you saw on the news new york city big warship like everyone's dying right like <laughs> it's 
and it was like okay it was it was not like that at all but like everything was shut um but i was very fortunate that we had i had i was the only one that had ice every day oh so, wow yeah so i had the best players you know shane pinto who were all of senators you know skating every single day and it's like okay so now i'm working with like the best players like you know nhl guys you know and like it's okay like this is really like and this is pushing me as a coach so i was sitting there like every day getting the reps getting more custom getting you know feeling comfortable working with them too you know yeah. like i i remember the first day i was on the ice with um drew o'connor and uh, uh router was out on the ice like all the guys like corley was on the ice there's all guys play nhl ahl east coast right first day i was nervous as shit like i was like shaking <laughs> when i was like receiving puck and being very timid but now it's like it's just hockey yeah. Right? And it's just like you realize that like they're the same age as me, some of them, maybe a little bit younger, but like, you know, you're just still coaching them and trying to find little things. So, yeah, COVID was, uh, it was really good uh, for me. And then, um, and then that also helped with just, uh, you know, if you're training good players, you know, you, you attract a lot of clients at the younger age groups. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the way we run our skills is we throw, the big booty mix on the, the, the sound system and uh, we have at it and um, we have a lot of fun, you know, like it's, it's a fun environment. It's not, it's, uh, there's no pressure. It's touches, it's reps, it's thinking about things and, um, and we get a good, good sessions in, you know, and, and that's kind of, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And having that, having that ice available to you is just a godsend, isn't it? It's, you you'll know, you'll know from playing in England, being from here, that ice time is just the killer of it all. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and um, yeah, like I can't, I'm just, I don't, again, I don't know how, like, I don't know <laughs> what, like, like outside the NHL Devils, I have the ice. It's like, uh, I don't, how is that thing? You know, like I have as much ice as I want on. Um, some of them have too much ice, and I'm like, oh, what do I do with this? Yeah. Um, oh, I can't think of an ice rink in England where you'd be able to sit here and do this with me for half an hour and no one's on that ice. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's my ice right now. I yeah. can <laughs> out here in like 20 minutes. So, like, Cooper's coming out here. So, um, but yeah, like, it's, I don't know. Like, I just, I kind of just want, like, UK hockey, like, as, as much as, like, I, I, you're limited by, like, by ice time and school schedules and games and competition and rinks. I get it. But can we use those parameters and still be able to produce talent? Yeah. Right? Like, I, think, I was discussing saying, with um, Nicky Watt last week. I think you, you probably would have played with or against Nicky Watt at some point in your career over here. That if we were to allow, because we've got the, the Chelmsford rule with no under-16s playing men's hockey, that if we were to not abolish that, but bend it slightly for two or three exceptional players every year, obviously they have the exceptional rule over there, Connor Bedard, the, the most recent one, that if we were to allow them to step up, you, you'll sort of free up ice time a little bit further down if you were to let these younger people step up when they were ready. Yeah, like, I know, but like, like you get out of school at what, half past three? Mm. You know, like, if you have everyone local, you can be on the ice at four o'clock. Yeah. I don't know. Right? Like, why are we on the ice till midnight? It doesn't make sense. Like, all right, the NIHL, okay, we all have jobs. All right, but maybe the NIHL can stay at 8 a.m. in the morning. Maybe the guys don't want to do that. But 8 a.m. in the morning, go from 8 to 9, get to your work by 10. You're still working a 10 to 6 job. 
You know, like you're not yeah. you're not having the hockey hangover and getting back at like whatever you're doing. Yeah, right? we've, so, we've got guys that come from Peterborough and Guildford, and there's yeah. I mean, that, one of our players, Dan Fay, who lives around uh, the around the corner from Guildford, Chelmsford is actually the furthest rink from his house in our league. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, yeah, and then, but then it's like then I don't know. Like, you got to think like, well, what's like if you're always in a car traveling. And how and you're taking away time from training, yeah. So, why why can't we be like, all right, let's maybe like you know, at Danny with the ozone and the skills, like, and you know, like if I'm a kid, I, I'd want to be t- taking through an ozone like two extra times a week if there's skills available to me, right? Yeah. So, because we're not getting that in in like in our practices, so. Again, I, 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 you look at like a Liam Kirk, right? And like, okay, he's an outlier. He's not the norm. Yeah. But like, we should look at like, uh, how do we produce not just elite level talent? How do we, how can we produce like players who are going to play in the SHL, the Dell, you know, like in that level? And, and it's, um, and, but that's on the men's side. And the girls' side is an easy fix straight away off the bat. Like, you can, you can make that team really good, like within six months. Yeah. Because again, I, I see it, I track it, and I'm like, yeah, you just need to do these things, and your, your women's team will be really good. Yeah. Well, so as well as well as yourself and James Ailing on this episode, I've also been joined by Abby Minter, who is okay. a Great Britain under 18s yeah, yeah, yeah. player. So, um, yeah, we'll, I'll, I'll be asking her whether you know coming out to something like like your setup is is uh, an option for her. Yeah, it, it's um, it's just the cost. Yeah. Like that's like. I can't, I can't do much about it. It's just like, that's just what it is. Like you travel a lot, you're in a hotel a lot, you know, you have the store, you have your visas, you have your food, you know, it's a lot of money. And it's just like, you know, I'm able to work around some of the stuff and bring the prices down for some of those kids, um, you know, and get some sort of scholarship money and try to look at the budgets across the whole program because I'm more passionate about helping these Europeans than anything else because like it changes their life. Yeah, you know, I have, I have a Hungarian girl. So in 2019, I was working with her in Sweden. Name's Emma Kreis. She's, you know, she's one of the best old threes in the world. Like she's played in the Hungarian senior team for a long time. And um, you know, I work, and so I tell a couple of coaches. So I was like, uh, Boston College coach King was like my my mentor for USA hockey when I did the national team here, and. Um, I was like, King, like, this kid's unreal. Like, she's like, you know, you got to give her a call. And yeah. then she's like, nah, we don't recruit yours. You know, like, I'm like, all right, fine. So then she comes and, like, she lights it up. And then she has uh, UVM, Yale, UConn, uh, like, offer her spot. Like, basically, Yale would be free because, like, financial aid. So, and Yale's, like, number two program in the country now. They're really good. And then Minnesota coming out of the woodworks, like, last minute. And then she goes to Minnesota, and she's, like, sees Brianna Decker ripping pull-ups, and she's, like, I'm going to Minnesota. And I'm, yeah. like, all right, don't blame her. But, like, the whole life has changed. You know, she's playing at the best. Like, if you, if you, you know, you can just look at it. Like, Minnesota's facilities, and, like, the athletes have their own chefs. You know, like, they have everything that they need. Like, their locker rooms are freaking phenomenal. The women's program has their own ring. Um, this is a different place, right? Yeah, and imagine if you had a couple of those English girls. Like the Hungarians now will have, I guess I think there'll be a five individual one hockey. 
which like alone says a lot, you know. And like Lottie Ogna, I trained her, and she played at Dartmouth, and then she plays now at St. Thomas for her fifth year, you know. And she's going to be in the Olympics. They missed out last time, but they're going to be in the Olympics the next year. You know, I trained Nadia Mativi. She's a captain of Boston University. And um, they're hosting the next Olympics. So she's going to be an Olympian, you know. And, like, Italy doesn't have much resources, you know. It's just, like, um, we have we have more resources in the UK than, than those federations have. Yeah, yeah. You just got to make better use of them, I suppose, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. again, it's just a conversation. It's just, like... Um, figuring out ways and like you have like you know you gotta work on the young kids you know like the u10s and whatnot and then you gotta like okay how do we get these kids in the sport then also okay we've got some good u14 u16 players like this how do we push them to give them the next level because i remember when i was 12 years old we played in uh, finland and turkey and we like won the tournament you know at skillford we had a good yeah. team but like from that, you know, we played against like Stuffer Red and TPS Turku, like you know, a good program. And I'm I'm sure as hell, it's probably at least ten guys we played against are playing in like the Dell or the SM Liga. And none of us are playing in the Dell or SM Liga. No, no. Like, you know, we're, we're carpenters or whatever we're doing. You know, like it's uh, <laughs> it's it's you know, we're working for a bank or whatever. Which is, yeah. You know, it's it's just like you just want to you know take those kids. And I think it's interesting. To look at the progression of Brendan and Brett, right? Brett stayed until he was 14 or 15, and Brendan left when he was 12. Now, Brett was obviously drafted, but yeah, he went to Michigan State, and now he's playing in Europe and always played for the Panthers and stuff. But, you know, like, if Brett left earlier, could he have gone to a high level? I don't know. I don't know him that well enough. He was really good in England. But yeah. Brendan left at 12, and, like, Brendan got drafted first round. So, it's, um, you know, we're just, we're just trying to figure out ways to be better for these kids. Excellent. Well, I mean, that's that's the whole point, really, is that I suppose with Chima Hockey, is working out a way to do better for these kids. Sam Chima, I'm so thrilled that you joined me on the podcast. I've really enjoyed this this chat that we've had. Um, yeah, no, anyway. By all means, plug, plug Chima Hockey. Tell us where we can find it and where we can see your stuff online. Yeah, just, I guess, just type in Chima Hockey. It comes up, I don't know, <laughs> on whatever, like on website or Insta- uh, Instagram is, like, big, I guess, like, uh, maybe I'll get in more on Twitter. Like I won't like not tweet for a while. But yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's generally good got... for a good kickoff in it on Twitter. It's just generally good for a kickoff. Yeah, yeah. But I like, get out there and I don't know. We can see that. There we go. We see some people on that, on that new training oh, yeah. pad. Yeah, I got to get out there. Nice one, Sam okay. Chima. Thank you very much. I'll speak to you again soon. A massive thank you to Sam Chima for joining me from the New Jersey Devils training rink out there in the in the States. A really interesting conversation there with Sam here and how he's getting on coaching out there. And obviously just general opinions on British hockey and how we can, we can push it forward and make it better for everyone coming through. Uh, so now then, my next guest is a GB under-18 starlet, also plays for Guildford and for Swindon in the ladies, ladies teams. This is Abby Minter. Abby Minter, how are you doing this evening? I'm good, how are you? I'm really well, thank you for joining me. I see your Great Britain hoodie you got on there. That's a yeah. nice touch, nice touch. Uh, so, ice hockey, you know, how and when did that come about? 
Well, I think I was probably about four or five and we were just at free skate down in Swindon and they gave us a leaflet for learn to play. Yeah. And my brother wanted to do it and I just kind of copied anything my brother did. So I got in as well. I've just been doing it ever since. Is your brother Jacob Minter then? Yes. We've just seen him this weekend down in Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that might be the case. I've got that written down actually. Was it siblings or parents kind of like uh, getting you into it? And then I thought, oh, I wonder if that's uh, if that's uh, that's her brother. Yeah, it's Jacob. Excellent. Yeah, he didn't fare too well Saturday night, unfortunately. <laughs> and, uh, and you had a weekend off, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Not very often that happens. Is it not? What do you do with yourself with a weekend off? Catch up on sleep and <laughs> just. Get, catch up on a lot of homework so I spent my weekend doing yeah I suppose it's got to be quite tough isn't it to do I mean it's tough enough for some of these guys that are playing in the NRHL and up and down doing a yeah. full-time job and doing hockey but when you're doing school as well yeah yeah definitely so that's um obviously having weekends off like that I know with the with the Chumpsford Pythons and the uh the Rattlesnakes and the under 16s and the Cobras that the games aren't actually that regular is it tough for you to get competitive hockey um well i'm quite lucky in the fact that i play in the elite league and in wnhl one so i have two teams going and i also play boys hockey so, oh, you oh good yeah so i have quite a lot of games really but i think if you're just playing for one team it can be quite tough yeah so you're playing for swindon and guildford is it i play for swindon and guildford women's yeah and then slough under 18 boys oh really how'd, and how do you find that I love it. I love playing boys hockey. I like the physicality of it. Yeah. Do you find that they are a bit sort of standoffish with you or they, they want to get involved with the, with the physical side? Oh, no. I think sometimes I found teams won't hit me as much, but I kind of, I don't like it when they do that. I just want to be, you know, just like everyone else and just playing hockey. Yeah, absolutely. We, we did see it in, our, in the Chelmsford League in the NHL once south. Ellie Wakelin plays for the Raiders Juniors. I think you're yeah. there at GB. And um, I did. she did get uh, boarded, and it, but it didn't look too harsh. It was just like a, a nudge. Yeah. And, and our player ended up with a five-minute penalty for it. And I thought, oh, is that is that because she's a, she's a girl? Yeah, and, it's hard to know, really. Yeah. yeah. But no, I think that's terrific. I've said before when I've had the, uh, the coach of the Chumps of Women's side on, the fact that... W boys and girls, men and women can play the sport together is, is brilliant, yeah. unlike any other sport really in that way. Yeah, definitely. Um, so probably aside from tennis, but that's not a contact sport. Yeah. <laughs> so playing obviously up in the elite league and in the national league and the, the stuff that you've probably done through your youth career, you've probably played at pretty much every barn in the country. Most, yeah. A lot. Have, you got, have you got a particular favourite? My favourite is definitely Nottingham. I like Nottingham, mm. and then yeah, probably Nottingham, probably best, yeah. And what about the other end of the spectrum? Is there a worse one? The worst one is definitely Solent. Yeah. Or Whitley Bay, <laughs> just because of the journey we had to yeah. leave at four a.m. in the morning. Oh my days! Just yeah, it's a long way up there, isn't it? Yeah, it was a tough day. Uh, is it all about internationally? Because obviously playing with GB, you must have done a fair bit of travelling. Is there any anywhere massively interesting that you've been? Um, well, last July I went to Finland and did uh, like the IHF High Performance Camp. So it's like all like it's like there was three girls from Britain that got selected. So I got to go over to Finland and do like an ice hockey camp with like all the best players from each country, which was 
cool and they had some nice rinks there but they were very cold yeah yeah and was it what sort of time of year was it were you getting the sort of like 20 hours of darkness or the oh yeah like... it never went dark like oh you were getting the other like, end of it it was when it was like it would get to about like when it was about sunset and then it would just wouldn't sun just wouldn't go down like <laughs> i would wake up at like 3 a.m thinking oh it's morning and then i'd look at my phone and realize it was, it was not morning <laughs> That's unbelievable. So travel-wise, with the uh, with the Great Britain team, uh, speaking with, with Sam earlier, and mm. he said that you know players that he's got over in his coaching program in America, mm. if they get selected for GB, they have to pay their own way to yeah. get from Canada back to GB. Obviously, you being based here, yeah, that's not so much of an issue for it. But do they sort something with the travel? If, like, if you want to bring family, is it sort of reduced price or anything like that? Um, I think for the World Championships up in Scotland, there was some sort of a deal for parents at a hotel that they had, but I'm not really sure, because we had to make our own way up to Scotland as well, so me and my friend got the train together up to Dumfries, but yeah, they, they didn't really, you get everything for free obviously at the whole tournament, but yeah, there wasn't really much for parents or anything. No, but so when you travelled to, to Finland, did you have to sort that travel yourself or did GB sort that? No, that was all sorted. They paid for everything, so that was good. Lovely. And when you all tra travel together, yeah. uh, what's sort of the camaraderie like amongst your group? Is it a good group? Yeah, it is. Our team is very, like, we've got some good vibes. We've got lots of good people. It's always fun. Like, when we went over to Poland, you know, like, getting that wing for the flight and stuff like that, going around the airport was lots of fun. Yeah. But always making sure you're behaving yourselves, of course. Of course, we're always <laughs> representing. <laughs> uh, so, and you've also been lucky enough to get yourself a sponsor. Yeah. Uh, Carl Catling Media, who's also sponsoring this episode that you're on. Yes. Um, so what does Carl do and how has Carl helped you in your career? Well, he's helping me by like providing stuff like kit and like he got me a new stick, which has helped me a lot. And it's just because obviously there's not as much support for women in the game and, you know, we still have to pay a lot of money for stuff. So he's helped me on that side, not have to worry about, you know, the economic side of the sport. And he's also just helps me, like, supporting. And, you know, he's coming to watch my game on Sunday. So it just adds that bit of support. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. I think it's probably what the sport needs at most levels, isn't it? Is that Definitely. even as a team sport, to get guys having individual sponsorships, Yeah, uh, it can only help in the long run. I mean, so... Well, so you're 16 now, so are you done with high school? Are you college over here? I'm in sixth form over here, doing A-levels at the minute. And is, do you have aspirations to perhaps go stateside or into Europe to, to study and play hockey? Yeah, I'm hoping maybe for university, hopefully somewhere abroad, maybe Europe, maybe America. It depends on how my studies go, how hockey's going for me. Yeah. Because no, I know the... Um, uh, I spoke to Sham Jackson, uh, yeah. who's who's out at the OHA, mm. and sort of trying to get into that NCAA hockey setup over there because that's is that really where the women want to play? That's where you want to be at the end of the day. It's where every guy I know wants to be. Really, if you want to reach the highest levels, you need to be playing over there. Yeah, is it um is it just ice hockey for you? Then, is there any other sports that you enjoy and partake in? I used to play rugby for a long time and then I had to quit unfortunately because hockey was taking up a bit too much time. I had to pick between the two eventually. I didn't yeah. want to but 
you know, I decided to pick ice hockey. Over you really do like a rough and tumble, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I think it's just how I've been raised with an older brother. You know, it's just he always, I just kind of did the sports that he did. And then yeah. I always enjoyed them. So, Have you guys ever played together? No, we actually haven't. We've Now that he plays for Slough Jets, we've trained together a few times. Yeah. But we've never played on a team together. Always just missed out on the ages. Well, what would you say if the two of you went head to head? Who'd get the better of that? I'd like to say me, but probably not. No. <laughs> uh, or, or in maybe like a skill off, like a, an all-star skills show. Well, yeah, he's a defender, so he's... He's not got as many skills as me. <laughs> so you could certainly show him up where that's concerned. Yeah, I could try. <laughs> so of all the uh, the places you've played sort of over here, have you got a particular game or anything that sticks in your mind as, as something that's always there as a, a boost for you? Um, I would definitely say the women's playoffs last season were some good games. I think the like playoff final for... It was Division One last season. We had to win the game to get promoted, which is what we really wanted. Yeah. And we won the game. It was just definitely a game that kind of sticks in my head. Lovely. And uh, what's, what's the best game you've had personally goal scoring? Because I think you're a forward player. Goal scoring. Under 16 goals last season against Icebees. I got four goals. So that one probably. Lovely. Any, any apples there as well or just the goals? I think it was just goals. Goals. But... Yeah, uh, we, I know we did recently. Um, that a lot of people tweeted out on social media. Chelmsford Chieftains won fourteen one at Milton Keynes Thunder, mm. and we've got two identical twin brothers on our team. Mm. And between the two of them, they scored eighteen points in one game. Which we've, we've searched everywhere. We don't think that's been done before by. Yeah, <laughs> so that's pretty good. That would be incredible. So if you and Jacob get on the same team, that, that yeah, could, there's a target for you there. Obviously, with Jacob being a defenceman, that'll make. Oh, yeah. So, have you, uh, when was the last time you played at the Riverside in Chelmsford? Um, I played against Chelmsford under 16 girls last season. That was the last time. I think I go there again this season for boys because we've played against Chelmsford home, but we haven't played them away yet. We haven't played them away. Now, is it, how's the sort of the turnout in youth hockey? Does it get relatively big crowds is it, or is it just a few parents? It's normally just parents, sometimes people's friends, but like, we do get some of the younger teams, like when we have home games, some of the like, under-10s, under-12s will come and watch, which is quite nice. Yeah. Does the, the GB under-18s, when you play at home, do you get a fairly big crowd? Um, for World Championships, we did get quite a decent crowd, to be honest. Yeah, we have, there was a good atmosphere, definitely. Yeah. And does that act as a boost for you? It doesn't sort of create the nervous energy? It definitely, it gets you nervous when you're like... You know, when you're at the start, everyone's standing on the blue line and you look you look around and you see all these people watching, all these important people. And it does get you a little bit, but you just have to focus on the game and not really think about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's certainly like mentally the first step, isn't it, to get over? Yeah. You know, you start sort of stepping up levels and you're playing at international levels. Uh, have you done any hockey with, with England as well? Because uh, they're trying to push that set up, aren't they? Yeah, there isn't any England from my age group now, but I did play for England under 13s. We went away to Belgium in, I think it was 2019. Yeah. So that was a good experience, definitely. So, and is it, um, is your your birth year then? So that must, is that the 2000, I'm doing my maths in my head here, 2007s? 
2006. So is your birthday a particularly good year? Because I know sort of hockey's kind of done in that. Uh, yeah, what do you mean? Like a lot of good players in my yeah, age? Yeah, there are a lot of good players in your age yeah, group. Definitely for girls, 2006, our age group's got many, lots of good players in it, definitely. And is your, obviously we spoke earlier about perhaps college abroad and whatnot, but yeah. is is the Olympics your massive sort of glowing thing there to achieve? I think I think so, yeah. I think if I could go to the Olympics, that would be amazing. Yeah, and I, I do think out of, I mean, it's great, it's going to be great to see Great Britain there at some point. I think that they've got, the men have got a great chance. Yeah. But I think it's going to be the women that are going to get there first. If, I hope so. If yeah, anything, because cool. the progression is just incredible with, with the women. But, um, and I discussed with Sam and also with Nikki Watt last week, that that's when, I think, because the funding does need improving for the sport. We, um, yeah. You know, it's, it's probably a top 10 sport in Britain. It's certainly not a top five, but it's probably yeah. a top 10. Uh, but if it was to get that, it's kind of like they've got to spend money to make money. They've got to give it that funding, get you guys to the Olympics. Yeah. And, and the eyes will be on it. Because, I mean, obviously, you're probably a bit young for Mighty Ducks, but that was, like, when that came yeah. out, in the, obviously, I would know you've watched it. I don't think anyone can play the sport and not watch that. Yeah. Film. But when that came out in the 90s, the sort of, that globalised the game. And yeah. Kids from all over the world were just like, I want to play ice hockey. Mm. And, you know, I don't think we're going to get anything like that again. So it's going to have to be you young ladies and our young men going to yeah. the Olympics, putting a show on for the next generation to say, I want to play ice hockey. And then they've got to be helped and progressed. So, I mean, playing for the teams that you play for, mm. do you find the struggle for ice time or have you got good slots for, for your teams? Um, I mean, definitely Slough's got good good ice times. I would say the only thing of women's is a lot of the times the training's quite late because yeah. we get not as priority. So Guildford training is quite late, which can, but you know, it, you've got to do what you've got to do at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, it is, that is the struggle. And I, I was discussing with Vicky Feidler, who's the team manager of the uh, Chumps of Cobras, that, you know, if there were more facilities, Mm. It would absolutely grow, but again, it's just a funding question, isn't it? Of getting these facilities out there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Abby, well, thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed uh, getting to know you and talking about your career. It's something I'm gonna gonna watch with intent now of, of how you get on, and looking forward to you ladies hopefully going to the Olympics. Yes, I hope so. Thank you for having me. You are more than welcome. So, uh, Abby Minter, if you want to follow her, Carl Catling Media, her sponsor as well is also there for a follow. Thanks for joining me, Abby. Thank you. A massive thank you to Abby Minter for joining me on the podcast. And as I said, she's going to be the first of three Great Britain under-18s players that join me on the podcast. So really interesting to hear about how the girls are getting on in the hockey. Uh, now we're going to go to Hit of the Week. Hit. Hit of the week then, we've already discussed it in the match report from the Slough game. Fantastic fight, we shared it on our social media, it was shared wide by Hockey Fights UK. Megas Canis on Jacob White say, hit of the week, Bosh. Hit. Now we're going to have a chat with Bob McGurrell, the Chief Executive of For Lewis Charity. 
Bob McGurrell, Chief Executive of Four Lewis Charity. How are you doing this evening? I'm very well. I'm very well. Look forward to speak to you, my friend. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me. It's such a pleasure when we've got involvement in charities to to speak to them, understand a little bit about them and why we have the, the connection with the club. Um, so tell us a little bit about Four Lewis and, and what you do and how it all started. Yeah, so, um, so I'm... Um obviously the CEO of the charity, but obviously more importantly, I'm Lewis's granddad. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, it was back in 2009 and my daughter was uh, pregnant with my very first grandchild and at 20 weeks we found out he was a boy and she, she named him Lewis straight away. And, you know, so we're getting very, very excited about that. And, and of course, I'm a big, I'm a big uh, Sunderland football fan actually. And, um, you know, he was, I thought to myself, this is going to be great. He's going to come to the match with his granddad and, you know, he start making plans and uh, getting very excited about it. Um, unfortunately, um, we didn't get him across the line. He was uh, 38 weeks when my daughter had a placenta abruption. And um, we didn't know that until until she was put into a machine when she went into hospital. And, um, you know, to put the heart monitor on and it was confirmed that his heart had stopped and... Uh, and that was really had a, a profound effect on us all, really. You know, it was very traumatic and um, I certainly wouldn't wish that on anybody, really. And from my point of view, there's not a word in the English dictionary will tell you how bad I felt as a nice. grandparent. Um, firstly, I was devastated. It was much more worse than that. And, um, yeah, so so kind of it, it was the start of, a, a you know, a journey of grief. We We, we really, really struggled with that. Um, I did personally as well. I really, really struggled with it. And, you know, labour's not very pleasant to start off with. And, and you know, I think, you know, the, for those of those of us who don't know that, you know, that they, they would expect you to actually go through the birth like, like naturally as well. Yeah. And I think to go through a labour, knowing fine well that you're not going to have, you know, a healthy child at the end of it. It's just absolutely dreadful. So, so yeah, so it was kind of, that was the start of the journey really in, I just wanted to try and help my daughter really make sure that she she didn't you know suffer mentally with it and you know just had to do something positive and and I think where memories were made there was very few um, memories were made in hospital at the time so I think we got a lot of Lewis's hair and a poly bag and um, a, a smudged handprint yeah and it, just, and it just didn't seem enough Ben really so. Um, and you know the, the staff in the hospital are doing fantastic work, um, and we just wanted to try and support what they were doing. And you know, we had a midwife who was absolutely awesome. She wasn't a brilliant midwife; they didn't really have them then. It was just really the most experienced one that was looking after you. And and you know, she said to us, um, "You know, have you thought about taking Lewis home?" And it was like, "Oh God, am I allowed to do that?" And it was like, "Yeah, he's your baby. If you want to take him home, you can." And and we talked about this as a family, and we decided we'd like to do that. And um, and, which is what we did, and we only had four hours with them. Um, there's a device called a cuddle cot, which I'll tell you about in a second. But they weren't around then, and you know we only had them for four hours. And as I say, I'm a big Sunderland fan, and and when we had to take them back to the hospital, I just said to my my daughter, you know, is it okay if I take Lewis to the stadium of light? Because I I would love to take them there, you know, before mm. before we say goodbye. And she said, yeah, of course you can. So I've done that, you know, we've got the stadium of light and I've I've got him out and he's, you know, out of the car and um, in his car seat. And I sat outside the main entrance and told him how rubbish we were. But I was kind of, you know what I mean? I was kind of, that was me creating a memory that nobody would ever take away from us. And, Absolutely. I think, yeah. and I think it's ironic now that we're actually 
running a charity that promotes memories. And um, so, yeah, so we just went on to do um, as, as a gift to Sunderland Royal Hospital for their, for looking after us. Um, we did 10 memory boxes. Um, we did clear impression kits for, for the hospital as well, from the hospital. And we thought everybody should have those. So, and we thought it was just a one-off thing. And, and then the QE at Gateshead asked us to do 10 for them. And, and I think the deal breaker was a hospital in Wakefield. They were the next one. And they said, we've seen these. Would, would you do them for us? Oh, so, wow. so if we fast forward all these years now, we kind of, we do 200 hospitals and hospices um, right across the, the, the United Kingdom. Um, we also cover um, uh, the armed forces in Cyprus and the bases in Cyprus. Um, a number of police forces as well. Um, and, of course, we're not just doing, obviously, stillbirth anymore. We're kind of doing all child loss, you know. So we have memory boxes in um, PICU, um, that sort of thing. Um, you know, mortuaries, uh, gynecology, uh, neonatal units, that sort of thing, you know. So, um, you know, so it, it's, it's kind of, it's, 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 it's expanded to something that we never thought would happen, really. Um, no, but to to create something positive out of something so tragic is 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 a sort of a silver lining, I suppose, isn't it? To you can kind of assure that obviously the the, the troubles that you guys went through at the time could try and take that that ease off of anyone else that it happens to. Yeah, because people often say to me, you know, this must be really difficult for you talking about Lewis, and and it's not. Massively passionate about Lewis, I'll talk about him forever. He's my grandson. Yeah. Um, but what I don't forget is the pain, Ben. The pain is intense. Yeah. And and that's that's my drive. I don't want anybody feeling like that. And, you know, official figures at the moment, I think around about 15 families every single day will suffer a stillbirth or neonatal death. Wow. And, and that's huge. And I just think to myself, wow, that's 15 people like me. And it's affected me for the rest of my life. So, you know, and I think, you know, if you think about it, somebody sitting... Right, right now is maybe 25, 30 weeks, 35 weeks pregnant, full term, thinking everything's fine. Tomorrow will be, for 15 families, the worst day of their life. Yeah. And, and that's the gravity of it, you know, that's that's the impact. And, you know, we've just got to, you know, our memory boxes is kind of there, just as like, a, I always call them like a stick and plaster. Um, it's never going to make it right. It never will. But I think it's just a... To, to tell people, you know, we're thinking of you and um, and it's to inspire you as well to create memories because you just can't think straight or clearly. Um, you know, you're in a fog and, and, and we're, these boxes actually help you to to create those memories in a short, such a short space of time that you have. Um, you know, maybe reading to your baby or, you know, with one of our bedtime story books that we'll have in our memory box or, you know, as I say, taking the impressions of his hands and feet or her hands and feet. They're priceless. They really are. They're priceless. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned earlier about the um, the carry cots. Is that something that's um, a, a newer thing? Well, it's not new now. But back in two thousand nine, they didn't exist. So it's 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 called a, a cuddle a, cold, a cuddle cot. Cuddle cot. My a cuddle cot. Yeah. And these cuddle cots, I think they're about seventeen hundred and fifty pounds each. And what they are, um, in layman's terms, is they're a kind of a, just a, um, a non clinical uh, mobile mortuary. So, right. so they just they are discreetly hidden to a, a Moses basket, and what it does is that keeps the child at a temperature which slows down the deterioration, which means you can buy the gift of time. Because we weren't we weren't ready to give uh, Lewis up, Ben. We just weren't ready for that. 
Um, we understood that eventually you would, but it was just too quick for us. Yeah. Um, if we'd had maybe another 24, 48 hours, that would have helped us. And these devices, um, are, they're in the hospitals all over now. I think there's around about 1,200 units right across the United Kingdom in hospitals. And I'm really proud to say that, you know, for Lewis as a small family-run charity, we've actually donated a third of all cuddle cots in this country. Oh, which, wow, that's incredible. Which is about 400 units. Um, started doing what they call a cuddle blanket, which are for older children, so like toddler size or over. Um, unfortunately, they're about £5,000 each. So, um, But we're trying to get those onto like children's accident emergency units and that, you know, so it's really, really important to be to give them the tools to do the job to help the families because what they have, the service they have in hospital can kind of outlay what you're going to be like in the future. So we've got to look after people's mental well-being and, you know, um, because if, if they have a bad experience, that could really have a detrimental effect on on them going forward, you know? Yeah, it can. I mean, it's it's something that there's you can't really get any closure, can you, out of, out of losing a child? It's... No, well, it's, I'd say it's 13 years for us. And, you know, we often, you know, we have um, bad days like everybody else. And, you know, th- there's a saying, isn't there, you know, time's a great healer. Well, I can tell you it's not. No. But but what you do is you learn to deal with it better, you know, and, and you, you learn to know the signs and, you know, because you remember like Christmas, um, birthdays, all these things, you know, the first day at school that children have, you know, you see it on social media where they've all got the uniforms on you know, my grandson would be 13 now and, you know, you see all those photographs and it just breaks your heart. It really yeah. does because that should have been him, you know, and, and I wouldn't be talking to you now and I would be totally ignorant of the fact of what really happens. And, you know, it's unfortunate that, you know, it's not as uncommon as people think. Um, you know, I think one in four pregnancies will not you know, not not sort of finalised type of thing, you know. So it's as much as twenty five percent. Yeah. So you get that, you know, that little blue line, you know, saying that you're pregnant. You know, mums can lose babies, obviously, any time from then onwards. So, um, so I say one in four uh, um, ends in miscarriage. Um, mm. So yeah, so it, it, you know, there are quite high figures, really. Yeah, we, I did speak uh, earlier in the in the year with Mel from Making Arms because they also oh, yeah. have involvement with the Chelmsford Chieftains as well. Um, I was sort of saying that it's um, my wife and I had struggled sort of with with having babies and we, we'd had a couple of early miscarriages and that's that's very upsetting. But to get as you know as far as as it got with your grandchild and then having to take that news, it's it's unthinkable. It is, but I, but you know what it is, Ben. We actually, I I, I wouldn't. Um... I would never on on how how families are affected because you know whether whether you lose it eight weeks or twelve weeks or twenty weeks you know that's that's all your hopes and aspirations that have gone and and in some respects really difficult for mums and dads who've had an early miscarriage because you know you might talk about closure and that but I think it's kind of one of those things where you know without the memory boxes we do we do a, a specialist memory box for for mums and dads who had a, a loss pre twenty four weeks. And within that, there's a there's an acknowledgement of life certificate in there because you don't get that, and no. it's almost like we want we want to validate that you know that that you guys had a, a a child. Do you know what I mean? There is a womb life, and whether it's you know only a few weeks or whatever it is, there was an existence, and you know and, and of course as soon as you see that line that you're pregnant, 
I, I couldn't help but make plans. I was I was straight on it, you know, thinking, oh, this is going to be brilliant, you know. Um, but then it's snatched away from you, fella, and I think that's that's something that, you know, I think is always very, very important to recognise that all losses do have an impact. And mm. you know, people deal with it in different ways, of course. I, I get that. But, um, you know, it's really, really important that we recognise that, you know, a loss of child at any gestations, um, you know, it can be quite stressful and traumatic. It is. So uh, what what is exactly enclosed in the memory boxes? Yes, we've got lots of items in there, actually. I mean, we do about 13 different types of memory box. Um, So we, so I say we we do different ones for different things. So you got maybe you know obviously boxes going on a neonatal wouldn't be the same. That's on delivery because uh, obviously a neonatal they would get a birth certificate anyway, um, whereas we didn't because Lewis hadn't taken a breath. Um, but in the memory box we've got two teddy bears in there. Um, reason being is that when Lewis was born, um, I bought him a Sunderland teddy bear and I put it in his cot. Because I wanted him, I wanted everybody to know that he was a Sunderland fan. Yeah, and, and I don't know if you know about the North East particularly. Yeah, you don't want that confusion, do you? Absolutely not. And 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 the worst bit about it was my daughter's partner. He's from the docks. He's a magpie. He's a magpie. He's he is, and it was kind of like I want everybody to know that he's a red and white. And my daughter used to say, "Dad, when he comes over to us, he can wear black and white. When he comes to you, he can wear red and white." And I said, "Listen, that cannot happen. That mm-hmm. is impossible." Um, so I bought him a Sunderland teddy bear and and. When it was time to say goodbye, I picked up the teddy bear and then I could smell him. And I've got a terrible sense of smell, but I could smell his scent on this bear. And I said to my wife, Tracy, look, I think I can smell him. And she said, well, keep it. And I was like, oh, but I bought it for him. And I said, you're going to have to wait. And I jumped in the car and I drove to the football ground and I bought him exactly the same teddy bear. And I brought that back and I gave him the new one and I took the old one. And that's why we put the two teddy bears in. And so... We always say at the hospital staff, you know, give one to the parents and one to baby. And then when it's time to see and you give each other. Yeah. Um, and I said before, we've got, a, you know, an iconic bedtime storybook, which is Guess How Much I Love You. Um, and I think, you know, we encourage families to do things that they would do with a healthy baby. It's about doing all those maternal things that you would do because you've only got a short space of time. It's not a rehearsal. You have to do them then. And, it, and you, at least you can look back and think, do you know what? At least I did get to read them a bedtime story or I did get to bath them or I did get to dress them. I put a nappy on them and all these sort of things. So, you know, again, it's, it's to inspire, to create memories. Um, we also have an SD card in there um, that you can put into the hospital camera and it takes as many images as you want. Um, it's common practice now to take photographs of a baby that's died. Yes. Um, However, I understand why people might think that's really odd. Um, but for those of us who do have children, you have a lifetime of photographs. We don't. Yeah. And it's really important that we do that. Um, we also have like a candle in there as well that you can light on an anniversary. Um, again, as I said before, we've got the clear cast. So you get a clear cast in there so you can get an impression of your baby's hands and feet. And because you can kind of run your fingers down, you know, the impression and feel all the little veins that's in his feet and his hands. Um, and we also do an inkless wipe kit as well. So when I when I was telling you earlier on that my grandson's hand was smudged, um, these are on sensitised paper. So it looks like a baby wipe. You put it on your hand and when that goes onto the baby's hand, you just put it on gently and it reacts and gives you a perfect image, just like, a, you know, if you had like, you know, like a fingerprint 
that yeah. you get exactly like that. And the families then go on to have jewelry made from that. Um, and I once had a dad who came to us um, at our factory unit and he showed us uh, a tattoo that he had on his chest and it was a tiny little pair of hands. And he said, you know what? These aren't just any hands. They are my son's hands. And he said, my son was cremated and I mixed the ashes in with the ink. So I feel like he's with us all. Oh, wow. And I felt so proud that, you know, that inkless white kit helped them with that, creating that life lifelong memory. Yeah. Um, so so we've got those in there as well. Uh, we've got forget-me-not seeds, um, which you can plant um, afterwards. Uh, we've got like, sometimes we've got like a hand in the heart key ring as well. So they have a key ring with a heart in, you pop the heart out and the heart goes in the baby's hand and the key ring is your part. So there's, you know, you've got that missing piece, if that makes sense. Um, so we've got one of those in there. Um, what else have we got? I think there's a plethora of things in there, to be fair. Um, scan wallet, for example. Um, and then there's a card in there. And, of course, the acknowledgement of life certificate, which I think is is very, very important. Um, and we also started doing, um, during COVID, uh, we, we, we supplied hospitals with their COVID boxes as well. And obviously we had to do some as if they were going to be for adults, but we were putting in, um, we were asking um sort of a lot of old people to to create um to be to to do like knitted hearts like padded hearts for us oh yeah and and, and we got inundated which was brilliant and you know they felt like they were doing something within the pandemic uh, but we just carried up we loved them that much we carried on so we, we put those into the boxes as well so they go into pairs with the teddy bears um and of course, you get a baby blanket in there as well. But you know, that kind of goes out saying what that sort of thing is. Yeah. And I think, and I think each memory box costs us about thirty-five pounds to make, but absolutely priceless. And we, and we've actually just about to release, which is tomorrow. So this is a bit of an exclusive. <laughs> um, but uh, tomorrow we're about to release our um, our memory box that is uh, translated into Welsh. So all the hospitals in the in the north and south Wales will have the option to have a memory box just totally translated in Welsh. So that gets how much I love you, Boop. We've had that. That was the delay because it took us two years to get there with copyright reasons, but we've had that oh, really? translated into Welsh. And, you know, the candle that has a seal on where that's got, that's in Welsh, the wisp of hair box that we have, you know, so we can take a lot of hair. We've got those. So so we're looking forward to that being released tomorrow. Um, and we also do a, um, a memory pack called Ibrahim's Gift, which is for... Um, Muslim families. Oh, so, so we're just trying to cover that culture as well. And you know, we've got, you know, they, they have. Um, I think they have like there's a book in there from the Quran which is has has uh, phrases about child loss. Um, you get atar bottles, which has got like a white musk in there, and of course there's a baby blanket. But we also have the cotton sheets that they wrap the babies in, um, yeah. which we cut in house here. Um, and I know we had, I had it. There was an a man who actually um, was looking after a family in Watford, and and he'd said, you know, he'd asked the midwife for some cotton sheets, and she was like, she gave him one of our packs, and he was like, what's this? She started telling him about it, and she said, she said, oh, they're in Sunderland. He said, I'm going to have to go and see them, and he did. He drove up the sea, oh, and he said, I couldn't get through that to my head. Why somebody not from our culture would support our culture? And I was like, listen, it doesn't matter what your beliefs are, what your religion is, or creed or colour, the loss of a child is the same. Yeah. And, and I just want to try and cover all angles, really. And, you know, who knows where we'll be 
what we'll be doing next year. You know, we're already looking at, you know, boxes for maybe Polish families or Romanian families, just to, because I think it's really important that, you know, when we get volunteers who come to our factory, we've got a 3,000 square foot factory in Sunderland now, and that's open Monday to Friday. And we encourage families to come and make the memory boxes with us. But also we have CSR days so with a lot of companies. So we've had Sky in today, for example, Sky Broadband have been in today. And they kind of, you know, I just expressed to them, you know, about why they're there. But actually, you know, when you make a memory box, that is going to be the best thing you've ever done because yeah. you're going to create something with your own hands, pack it, you know, beautifully, put it on the shelf. And then the next time that box is opened, it'll be a family somewhere, you know, Manchester, London, you know, Liverpool, wherever, that is, that you have created something that that somebody will treasure forever. And, you know, you bold moment then, you know, you think, oh, my days, you know, I didn't realise, you know. Um, so it, it, it's, it's really good that they're able to do that because I'm going to give you a figure now and you probably think that is unbelievable, and it is, but we are actually donating. F everything we do with, uh, for Lewis is free, of course, but we donate 1500 memory boxes every single month donated into the nhs oh wow it was just huge it's a huge number and we certainly can't do that on our own we really can't and you know volunteers are absolutely amazing for us you know and obviously awareness is very big for us as well and and it's always great to get funding of course you know running a charity is not free um you know obviously there's all the bits and pieces that we buy there's, you know, we don't get anything for free. We have to pay for everything. Um, but to give that away for free, we've got to have some sort of offset. But I think at the end of the day, when people donate their time as well, that means so much more to me. It really does. Because, you know, it, it helps us get the job done, really. You know, so um, it's absolutely amazing. I, I can't tell you how um, how much it means to us to get people through the door to support us. Yeah, and it sounds like you're doing an absolutely incredible job there with say everything, all the all the stuff in the memory boxes and the the spread to say far over the, all over the country and into um into Wales as well now. Yeah, absolutely, and I think you know um, obviously we we've kind of you know expanded the service we have now, and you know we're doing quite a lot now with bereavement suites, and um, you know all over the country. You know, providing rooms that's a safe haven for mum, mum and dad to go into, or parents to go into and be away from, not listening to a baby crying in the next room, which is what we had. You know, there's no posters on the wall saying "best practice, breastfeed your baby," which we had. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a it's a defined area where you're protected, and you know we're just about to open the latest one. The first one we did was Sunderland. Um, it's seventy five thousand pounds, which was amazing. Um, and we're just about to complete uh, mid-March, I think the one in Durham actually, um, which is at a cost of nearly a quarter of a million pounds. So they're quite wide span, but there are some that are a lot cheaper. We've just done one in Stoke Mandeville, um, which was maybe five or six thousand. So, um, and as a charity, we don't have reverse gears here, you see. It's always like, I would never say no to anybody. And if we'll get a request, we'll just say, yeah, we'll do that. And you know, we do a lot of um, study days, you know, providing training uh, for midwives because we recognise the, 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 you know, all the pressures they're under as well. I mean, you know, it's difficult in the NHS as it is. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter how professional you are. If you're a midwife and you are looking after a family who's just lost a child, 
you, that has to affect you. That has yeah, to affect especially you. if you're not bereavement trained, it, it must be incredibly difficult for them as well. Yeah, I think even with the bereavement training, I mean, bereavement training generally is quite poor in this country. Um, and uh, but I know that we're we're doing bereavement training all all you know every every week now, you know right across the country. You know I've got Bedford coming up in a week or so's time. Um, you know Liverpool and yeah, you know me and my wife are basically all over the country trying to, to deliver some sort of training to be able to say you know this is what you should be saying to families. This is what you don't say. Please be courageous. You know when you're looking after families. And, you know, and obviously looking after their mental welfare, because, you know, that is really, really important. And and I think what we're trying to do as well, which which we haven't really, um, how can I put it? We haven't really publicised it because it wasn't really our thing, but started obviously dealing with families where there's been a SID situation where, you know, maybe they've just put a little one to bed and they've just not woke up. Yeah. And, it, and, and that's quite common as well. And. And um, so we're dealing with a bit with that, but you know, I've been talking to a couple of dads recently, and um, you know, and when it was raw for them, and I just said, look, you know, would it, would it help if we put you in a log cabin somewhere just so you can have a different surroundings, and you know, and they were like, oh, that would be amazing if you could do that, that would be brilliant. So for whatever the cost is, pounds or something, just to give them a breather to get them away from their home, you know, um, and just give them a chance, to, you know, and and I know the feedback's been brilliant coming back so i think long term i'd love to try and do something where we had a, a you know a retreat or a respite area just so that these families could come and go for free and you know and just catch the breath really you know yeah and your your connection with the chieftains then i think it did was for lewis involved with grant and his family after the tragic loss of leo yeah so i think i think they've obviously they've got a memory box i think um and and i think the girls have been talking to them the events team about providing some bits and pieces and um it's funny because we've had um uh, there was another chap actually who was raising money for us who was a um ice hockey player i think it was something like the tsi bs or something um so maybe they were like a lower level club i don't know mm. um but then of course we've got um up here we've got i think we've got the whitley warriors and um um I think the other, what's the other one? Billingham, I think. Yeah, um, Billingham. yeah. And and we had uh, so we had a midwife in a few uh, last last year. Yeah, just the back end of last year, who came for a placement, and and her fella, uh, Lewis Crisp, who's he, he plays for Whitley Warriors. So I got a good you know a good chat about about the ice hockey, um, but obviously I've missed out on on coming down to to see see um you guys down there so i'm quite gutted about that so you know hopefully i can get the chance to do that um over the next few months if it's possible you know i'd love to come down yeah we, so we did have our, our game at home on saturday was raising awareness and funds for four lewis charity yeah, the, yeah. i'm not sure who your end designed the jerseys that they wore but they are absolutely fantastic um, oh, unfortunately man. we're on audio here if we're on video you'd be able to see that it's on the wall behind me the because i managed to win one did you yeah. Oh, well done, well done. And yeah, yeah, they are an absolute sight to behold. Yeah, well, I've seen some of the photographs and I've said to my, my daughter, who's Kirsty, who Lewis's mum, because she does all our social media and comms now, and I just said, you know, um, we need to collate a lot of those and try and do a feature on social media about that, which I know she's working on. Um, because, as you say, the photographs are really impactful, aren't they? The, the, the shirts are absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And I think... You know, as I said before, you know, I'm I'm very, very proud of Lewis. And when I see his name, particularly in a sporting background, I can't tell you how proud I am. 
honestly, I cannot tell you how proud to see my grandson's name. And it's mad, isn't it, to think that, how did that happen? How yeah. Do you know what I mean? How's, how am I talking to you about a hockey game that went on down in Chelmsford with, you know, with shirts on, with Lewis's name on, you know, and it's like, oh my God, it's it's mad. I just can't get my head around it, mate. I can't. Um, <laughs> well, fortunately, we won as well, so it, it made the atmosphere a hell of a lot better. Yeah, well, that's good. That's it. Well, see, he brought you some luck. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's quite odd because normally in our league, the home to, all the home teams wear white or a very light colour. Uh-huh. Um, and these are obviously incredibly colourful um, with, with sort of dark strips in there as well. So we... Uh, it was a sort of slightly odd look for a home side not to be wearing white, but it was—it really did. They looked incredible, like reflecting off the ice. Yeah, no, it was—it was brilliant to see, you know. And um, I don't know if you, I don't know if they ever do any videos or anything like that, you know, and maybe some footage of them. I don't know, but I'd say if there is, I'd love, I'd love to see that as well, you know. Yeah, there's a few bits about. I'll send you some links so you can sort of see oh. any pictures that I've got. I will, I will forward on to you. Oh, Ben, that would be brilliant. No, well, Bob, Bob, thank you so much for joining me. You talk so passionately about your work for the charity. And obviously, being it, that it's your grandson, that it's it's because of, it's, it's entirely understandable. And it really is really great to hear just how much you guys do. Yeah, well, I appreciate I mean, we always say Lewis is the bus driver. He's the one who's driving it for us. And uh, we just do what he says. And, um, you know, it's been an absolute honour to speak to you tonight. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really uh, overwhelmed, to be honest with you. So thank you very much for the invite. Now, the honour is all mine. You speak very candidly and very, very passionately, and it's been lovely to hear. That's lovely to speak to you, pal. Nice one. Thank you very much, Bob. Yeah, keep smiling, buddy. And you. Thanks very much. A huge thank you to Bob for joining me from Fort Lewis Charity. It's always great to hear from the charities that the club are involved with so we can kind of push that envelope out there, get a little bit more awareness and try and help with the fundraising. And a massive thank you to all my guests that have joined me this week, to Sam Chima coming to us from uh, over stateside and Great Britain player Abby Minter. Thank you again to Carl Catling Media, her sponsor, for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. He will be sponsoring the episodes that his sponsored athletes are appearing on, so I really, really appreciate that. Fixtures for the coming week then. Chieftains are at home to the Oxford City Stars on Sunday the 5th of March. That's a rearranged game, of course. It would have been March 26th, but that is the cup final, so it is now taking place Sunday, March the 6th. Ticket co for your tickets for that one. Warriors are travelling to the Peterborough Phantoms on Saturday the 4th, and the Chelmsford Cobras are at home on Sunday as well as they face the Nottingham Vipers. Uh, That return game up in Nottingham, I think it finished 9-8 to the Cobras, and their coach, Shane Mead, said it was one of the most incredible games of hockey he ever saw. So if you're around early on a Sunday afternoon before the Chieftains game and you want some free entry hockey, remember those female games are free entry with refreshments available inside. So make sure you can check that out if you get the time. Well, that's episode 20 in the bank. I really hope you've enjoyed it. We will get James Ailing on as soon as possible, completely out of both of our hands, unfortunately, but he will be on soon. Next week, then, we'll have the results from the Chieftains, the Warriors, the Cobras and the Academy. I should also be catching up with Jack and Reuben, discussing their successful trip to Quebec with the England Wee team. And I'm also joined by Cobras captain Jenny Bolton and GB under-18s player Lily Endicott and possibly some more as well. Thank you for listening. Thank you again to Carl Catley Media for sponsoring the episodes. The chats with Sam and with Abby are also available on the Zero Pucks Given YouTube channel. So thanks again and I'll see you next time.
This podcast is hosted by Anchor on Spotify. It is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and other podcast outlets. Subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to get notifications about new episodes. Follow us on social media, Instagram at Zero Pucks Given Podcast, Twitter at Zero Pucks Pod, YouTube at Zero Pucks Given, email Zero Pucks Given Podcast at gmail.com. The music in this podcast is taken from Spotify and I do not own the tracks. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Podcast Network.